there's lots of stuff talked about polish uh, in recruitment and yeah really that's code for do you look and sound like me and we want to, to kind of expose quite a lot of that stuff and and therefore allow readers to decide how they wanted to navigate some of that stuff that traditionally has been quite a barrier to people from certain backgrounds or to people who haven't had uh, the kind of um, education that also comes with a series of connections that makes their working life easier, certainly at the start. Well, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Lucy Clayton to our My Leeds Story podcast today. Lucy is, of course, a Leeds alum, having studied English literature here at the university and has had a hugely varied and exciting career in journalism, advertising and fashion um, and has now written a book called How to Go to Work, The Honest Advice No One Ever Tells You at the Start of Your Career. Now, we're going to be delving very much into that book and, and help helping lots of our, our graduates with some advice from Lucy. Um, but Lucy is also a mentor for, for Leeds University and kindly mentors um, one of our current students. So we'll hopefully be hearing uh, from Hannah, who you mentor later on in, in the podcast as well. Um, but firstly, I'd like to delve very much into your book, Lucy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, so tell me, first of all, what compelled you to, to write this book? Why, why did you do it? It was a strange thing to do at a strange time in that it doesn't really make sense uh, if you look at the rest of my career, um, as you say, within sort of uh, the creative industries, um, to then go and write a kind of quite serious, but also I'm told funny, uh, she says, <laughs> pitchily, uh, book about how to go to work. But uh, my boyfriend and I had both had experiences throughout our career of working with young people who uh, were super talented and ambitious. And they all were worried about the same things or had the same anxieties and the same gaps in their knowledge coming out of school or university or education generally. So we decided to write it all down and to kind of, it was seemed odd to us that the book didn't already exist. It should do really. Um, and one of the things we wanted to do was to shortcut a lot of the stuff that, as we say in the title of the book, that no one ever tells you at the start of your career. Um, because a lot of that is you can only learn through being in environments and observing and just doing your time. And that seems that seems kind of a little bit boring. <laughs> we felt like we could kind of shortcut quite a lot of that for a lot of people. And there's also a lot of the stuff in the book that we wanted to sort of democratise a lot of things that are a bit mysterious about the workplace, particularly kind of, I guess, what tends to be called elite workplaces, so whether that's either in law or uh, all the, the sorts of kind of uh, supposedly flashy careers. Uh, there's lots of stuff talked about polish uh, in recruitment. And yeah, really that's code for do you look and sound like me? And we want to, to kind of expose quite a lot of that stuff and, and therefore allow readers to decide whether they wanted to be part of that or push up against it or how they wanted to navigate some of that stuff that traditionally has been quite a barrier to people from certain backgrounds or to people who haven't had uh, the kind of um, education that also comes with a series of connections that makes their working life easier certainly at the start. So that was kind of I guess from a slightly activism point of view. I'd just been working uh, running Patrick Grant's Community Clothing, which is a social enterprise. Patrick, also uh, an, an ex-lead student, uh, although much, much, much older than me. 
<laughs> very different generation. Uh, so our past didn't cross there. But uh, I was CEO of Community Clothing at the, at the beginning. And uh, that was that's all about creating and sustaining jobs within UK garment manufacturing. And a lot of what I saw in working with young people in that environment is about you know, access and confidence and things that in certain schools you get taught that stuff as part of the curriculum, but in others you, it's simply absent. And therefore we wanted to try and overcome some of that and sort of level the playing field a bit just by being really honest about the stuff that people actually tend not to speak or, or the codified things, I suppose. And at the moment, I think a lot of our graduates will be feeling that, frankly, in the middle of a pandemic, it's probably one of the most challenging times to try and start your your career. What advice would you give to, to graduates at the moment who are finding, I suppose, that big step out into the into the big, big wide world challenging at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always challenging. And then this lot have got challenge upon challenge and so the first thing to say is everybody knows that and I think people are sympathetic um, to the plight of a generation who will be starting their careers at a time of great uncertainty but the flip side of that is that within that great uncertainty there's also a period of great change and I think that's exciting and an opportunity as much as it is a terrifying prospect for for young people. Um, One of the things that everyone is doing, even people with really established careers, is reflecting upon what do we want our working lives to look like? What is the shape of a working day? Do you want to travel across the country for a meeting that lasts 45 minutes and travel back? I mean, the fact that we ever used to do that seems ridiculous now. And I think not just on a sort of day-to-day level, but on a much bigger macro level, the, the way we will change our working patterns and the jobs that come out of this period of great flux are it there is no generation better placed to take advantage of that change than people who are graduating right now so on the one hand I totally understand how difficult it is to navigate that but equally I think it should where possible be done with enthusiasm and bravery if that's if that's possible and and also I think it's really tempting in a period of change like this to sort of throw everything out and we wrote this book before the pandemic I mean we wrote a book called how to go to work just and published it three weeks before no one could go to work so it was brilliant timing <laughs> um, and then all the bookshops shut so that was that was well done us uh and I think it so it's not what's interesting now looking back at the book is actually how relevant it all remains and I think it's really tempting to say well because this this period has been so disruptive everything about the way we work it has to change and actually that's not the case things like the way you conduct yourself at work or how you start in a career and build a reputation those fundamentals remain absolutely true it's just that the way we deliver that is slightly different so I think the the advice and the information about how to kickstart your career is still relevant and it's still out there and you just need to slightly reapply it to the circumstances. So it's not like you are totally without direction, I think. It's just that we're all slightly reflecting and making changes about our working lives and I think that's that's a real opportunity. You mentioned, you know, confidence and bravery and, and enthusiasm. What do you do if you don't have that in abundance? It's a really good question. And I think it is important to say, I mean, we've got chapters in the book where we talk about, because I'm obviously a massive show off. So for me, it's almost, I understand that it's very hard. If, if someone is just shy, then 
you know, I can talk about confidence and its transformative powers and how it might, uh, particularly if you're new, it's a really useful thing to exhibit because the people you're working with might be feeling jaded and exhausted and run down and actually just being new blood and having a bit of bounce about you is, is a huge thing. But that's an easy thing to describe. And it might be for a particular personality type impossible to deliver, or at least it might feel impossible to deliver. One of the things we talk about in the book is what to do if you're an introvert in that scenario, uh, how to find ways to uh, match your personality type to the environment without pretending to be somebody else or undermining your values and things like that. And that's that's pretty nuanced and it depends on all sorts of things and what kind of person you are. But it is it is possible to do elegantly. And, um, and I think enthusiasm also doesn't mean bouncing in like a Labrador. It can mean just thinking about the way your body language expresses, and this is particularly important on Zoom, uh, as we all sort of manically grin at one another to <laughs> to show encouragement. Uh, but I think it is about how your body language reflects uh, your attitude and things like that. And that doesn't involve being a sort of all singing, all dancing, tap dancing kind of person. That, that can just be about radiating a warmth. Um, and, and that stuff also... It's difficult on paper, but actually, once you've practiced it a bit, I think people's confidence in their early in the early months of their career can be built hugely by um, by experimenting and pushing yourself a little bit further, perhaps. And it's and and it's very rewarding when you're able to do that. You mentioned about online presence, and I think now more than ever, that's that's our lives now. You know, even me, you know, who's quite established it in my career, had to to do this role, having not met a single person that I'm working with in you know in person and everything's been done on on teams and on, online how do you I suppose if you're starting out your career learn from people if you're not sat next to them or not hearing those conversations in the office and the context how do you learn in a business if you're sat at home on your own all day it's really challenging and there's no I mean it would be ridiculous for me to suggest that that wasn't a really difficult thing to, to, to manage um, but I think what is important to say and we just alluded it to it a bit there but so much of working from home is also brilliant and has huge potential so it is essential that we celebrate how much this shift means for things like accessibility for flexible working for people with families for not having to move to London and spend all of your pitiful entry-level salary on a really rubbish flat and having a horrible time. That's really important and it's all progress. And I think it will mean that more talent finds its way into great careers with fewer barriers. And it's essential that we retain that freedom going forward and that we don't return to this idea of back to normal that fundamentally excludes people. So it is important to remember that that shift is fundamental and bigger than the daily irritation that we've had to deal with. So I want to say that first. But it is also ridiculous to suggest that there aren't problems. And one of them at the start of your career is definitely how do you absorb what would be happening around you in an office or an organisation or a factory. So I think so much of what you learn at the beginning of any job is just by overhearing, which is not quite the same as eavesdropping, I should say, if we go on to talk about you know, office etiquette. But the that sort of sense that the casual opportunities to drink in what colleagues are saying and what people, what your boss actually thinks about something or, you know, that stuff, you it's about subtlety and uh, sussing it out. And that that's not scheduled as a Zoom call on a Wednesday at three o'clock. So 
I think the solution to that, and it isn't a perfect solution, but it's better than nothing, is simply to ask. So everybody, as I said, is sympathetic to people starting out in this time. And I think what you have to do is put time in with your direct reports or with colleagues you you admire and ask them for feedback. If you're unsure about the way something has been done historically, then ask, how was it done before? Find out what was good about that and what went wrong and can you improve it? Be very open and honest about the things that you don't know and find someone ideally as early as you can who you we talk about how to find a mentor in the book um but really what a mentor is is someone who you trust and admire whose judgment you trust i think it's about judgment because there is no point in having a mentor who you think has a really skewed view on the world because they will advise you in ways that feel unsettling and uh directionless uh if you find someone who you trust and admire within it that organization you can ask them you can say look i I need a bit more support because we're starting out in this weird place and we're not all in the office. And I wondered if you could help me by being my mentor. I'm not asking for a big drain on your time, but, you know, a regular chat with no agenda would really make a difference. And most people will just say, of course, of course I will help you. Um, So I think being honest and open about what you don't know and, and asking for help is the way forward. We've had um, kindly quite a few questions come in from uh, from students, from graduates who were really keen to to, to quiz you if that's all right. Okay, um, so great. I'll just put a few questions from our from our um, from our graduates and students to you. So the first one um, has come in anonymously from a, um, a media industries um, graduate who's saying, "How do you find the ideal job for you?" It's a really good question. When you said anonymous, I thought it was going to be like you know, sort of really dodgy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> an agony art which has secretly always been a career desire of mine anyway but um no I can answer that very sensible question um and I think it's a really easy answer harder to do perhaps right now but as a as a plan uh this is this is a, something that's sort of remained true from time immemorial and is still relevant um you have to put yourself in varied environments and you can do that from as early as it is legal to work Uh, right the way through, actually, until you retire, I think it's important to say. Um, So not necessarily within your desired industry, but just working. So it might be a supermarket or volunteering for the Samaritans, anything that gives you access to different places and people and working patterns, different training, uh, interpersonal dynamics that you can observe, different structures in organisations. You might not be able to get an internship in your dream job. Uh, or your dream company straight off. But in my experience, any workplace activity, any being somewhere, and obviously even being somewhere remotely, can help inform your decisions early on. And be aware that even if you do get your dream stint in the company that you think you really want to work for eventually, uh, it might come as a shock that that doesn't actually suit you at all. And that's okay too. In fact, that's brilliant because that really helps you navigate what comes next. Uh, And at the beginning of your career, I think we can make a lot of assumptions. School, one of the reasons we wrote the book is because school and education can often shape quite a lot of our assumptions about what we want to do. And then our experience in reality can actually totally undermine a lot of those assumptions and that can be quite unsettling because you've sort of been building up to this idea or you've been pointed by your you know very well-meaning careers advisor in a certain direction and then you find yourself there and you think well this is awful (laughs) this is not what I want at all and that's no one's fault but if you haven't tried it then you don't know and you don't need to be doing anything other than 
having a foot in the door in order to make those decisions. So I'll give a really kind of clear example of that. I, while I, while I was at Leeds, I did um, two stints at the BBC uh, as um, in my holidays. And I thought at the time I absolutely wanted to be a journalist and probably a fashion journalist, but definitely a journalist. And so obviously work experience at the BBC was perfect and I thought I'd done super I had done super well to get it because I'd managed to shark that out myself with no connections I was feeling really good about it um and you know it's the BBC it remains you know a, a revered organization um but I'd also previously been working at a really small startup in New York a small fashion startup and I was really surprised by how culturally I much preferred being somewhere like that to somewhere where the weight of the organisations felt so important and sort of burdensome, that's not even a word, uh, it felt really significant. And I, on paper, I absolutely wanted to be at the BBC, but in reality, I was much happier at the more creative scrapping around in a smaller space. And because I was a nobody, because I was still a student and I had no experience, I got to do a lot more uh, at the startup than I would ever have been able to do. I was still given wonderful opportunities at the BBC and I was writing and I was interviewing people and it was great. And I definitely learned a ton of stuff from that. But I much preferred the sort of, we're all in it together and have you got five minutes? Well, then you can produce this fashion show. So I would say that to find your ideal job, you just have to try a version of it, however watered down or however local, do that because you may realise that you, you may learn stuff from there that you are simply not going to learn from researching. Mm, quite, definitely. And then we've had a question come in from Lai Dai, who's an advanced computer science uh, graduate in Shanghai. And he's asked, um, what's the best way to reach out to prospective clients at work? I suppose what would we usually would call cold calling in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of one of my very early jobs, which was cold calling um in a in a call center selling upvc facials and guttering ouch <laughs> yeah it was awful it was awful and i was bad at it uh i stuck it out for two weeks and then they didn't pay me so it was definitely that was not a career highlight you probably don't want to hear about it on a career i think it path. definitely Sorry. shows what you did and what you um, didn't want to do though <laughs> I definitely learned some stuff. Make sure you get paid. Top tip. Um, so I, I don't. I think it depends largely on the industry and the conventions within that. And I don't claim to know anything about the advanced computer science area. But certainly within creative industries where collaboration is really common and that makes it easier to sort of hook up with people who you don't know. It's sort of more uh, something that happens all the time. Um, one way to, I mean, social media has absolutely transformed the way our access to people and uh, and connecting through social media is really smart. But if you're going to do that, it is really, we talk a lot about social media in the book and how to uh, make sure that you're presenting yourself in a way that is useful. Um, make sure if you're going to do that, that your social media presence reflects how you want to be seen professionally. And I don't mean that that's lots of pictures of you in tailoring with a laptop, like some sort of Getty image. I don't mean that. I mean that it authentically represents your interests and your passions as a person in a way that you're proud of. Uh, because if you're going to use that as a vehicle, then it has to all make sense to that person who will then look at a snapshot of your life as presented online and decide whether they're going to help you or take that phone call or whatever it is. Um, 
whenever you approach someone cold, you know, however you make that contact, it is, uh, this sounds so obvious, but a, a lot of what we say in the book is just the obvious, basic kind of politeness stuff. Uh, make sure that you have done your research, that that note is personal and that it's obviously written to them. The days of dear sir... <laughs> just don't ever write that um, mostly because it's usually a woman um, and um, so make sure that you're kind of that the, the connection you're trying to make is real and it feels thoughtful and that you sound human because I think quite often and I think this is a problem that a lot of young people face starting out is this sort of I'm going to go into professional mode and so therefore what happens is it's this sort of faceless toneless uh, kind of work speak and nobody wants to respond to that that isn't that just isn't you know we're all humans so uh so sound up one uh I think if you think of it as a handwritten letter as opposed to something you've bashed out on your phone in three seconds that helps uh even if you have obviously bashed it out on your phone for three so hopefully more than three seconds I think it's better to try to make fewer of those connections and to make them mean more meaningful than to do a sort of blanket approach of you know a, a, if you've got a hit list of 20 people you would think it interesting uh and you're sort of contacting them all i kind of think people know that there's a sense of that so it is better to try and forge relationships whether whether that's you're writing a book and you want an agent to give it a, a read or you're asking someone whether they want to guest on your podcast or any of those things make sure you are talking to that person who you have fully researched and you feel that even tonally you can make a connection with because you know who they are because that person reading that note will know whether you have bothered or not it's really obvious um but but i think be ambitious is the other thing i would say you know certainly in the examples where i've done it it's been um it's been radical so definitely go for it but do it uh really thoughtfully now, here's a literally a, a money question. Somebody's asked, again, anonymously, unsurprisingly, I suppose, uh, a physics graduate for, for 2021 has asked, um, say I've been in the role for a year and I feel like I'm doing a great job. How do I negotiate a pay rise? I think we'd all like to know that one, wouldn't we? <laughs> I was historically really, really bad at this. I used to burst into tears every time I asked for a pay rise. <laughs> Emotional blackmail, <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, because because actually I was angry. That's the thing. I mean, we talk about crying uh, in the book and quite often it's actually, it, I won't go into it now, but quite often um, people are crying because they're angry, not because they're upset. Uh, and it took me probably 15 years to to find a much better way of, <laughs> of having this conversation. But I suppose the point is, it is often uncomfortable uh, and always more acutely at the start of your career. Uh, there are lots of tips and strategies in how to go to work about this particularly, because we know it's such an issue, and about money generally. So not just about getting more of it, but also about at the beginning of your career, trying to spend it wisely. Uh, because again, that could be something that really trips people up at the beginning. It's often the first time you've lived away from home. It's often the first time you are kind of creating a new life in a new city with all of the socialising and the work wardrobe and all the things that you need to do. And, and quite often that can go horribly wrong if you're not just a little bit um, uh, prepared, I guess, for that that amount of change. So we talk about money. Uh, in terms of the tips and strategies, there are lots of them around this subject, even down to kind of how to start the conversation about, about pay rises. But I suppose if I had to pick the most, I think the most useful tip, it is to, from your, and you could do this from the very first day in your very first job, track your progress from the start. 
So keep a note of the things that you do that are good, that have made a difference, that have you know, a diary, I guess, almost of your achievements. So even the small wins and the successes, the team successes that you were part of, if you have a dossier of your of your contributions to that business or that team, then that is the thing that should form the basis of any conversation about pay. Because what you're doing is you're demonstrating your worth through your actions. And having a vague feeling that you've done a great job, which you know most of us feel all the time, uh, is great and probably perfectly true. But it isn't as powerful and it's definitely not as persuasive as having collected that evidence and presented your case And actually, it's really impossible to do that in retrospect. So three months in or six months in or a year in, as this question uh, suggests, actually, can you remember every single time you contributed to a pitch that was successful? Can you remember when you were asked to do that thing and you turned it around and everyone was wild with applause? Uh, You know, no. Uh, So just make a note of it. It's a private note. It's something there that just logs those things. And it means that when you go to have that conversation, which you might be feeling emotional about, because it's a super emotional subject, you don't need to apologise about that. Do try not to cry because it just makes you feel shitty. Uh, but if you have that document, like, you know, in front of you, if you have that list, then it is a really solid start to a conversation about this is my contribution. And therefore, I think we should talk about my pay. It's so true. You know, an old mentor years ago for me, when I was starting out in journalism, said to me, always create yourself a squirrel folder. Yes, and and I literally, even to this day on my emails, I have a folder called squirrel. And I literally yes. just whack things in that I'm proud of or that, you know, I, I know I want to go back to and go, yes, I remember doing totally. that. And that was great. Every time someone says, if a client sends you a thank you note, file it away. Exactly. It has to be this. It's also good to have that because if you're having a really bad day, sometimes it's quite nice for one's ego just to have a little rummage around in that folder and remember that you're not actually as as crap at your job as you might feel (laughs) totally well it's a nice confidence boost isn't it and it is to remind yourself but yeah squirrel is definitely my folder in in my emails (laughs) and it it does work (laughs) this is uh, I think relevant to a lot of of students at the moment who who generally um throughout their kind of time at university tend to have part-time jobs in retail or, or hospitality granted I know that's been quite difficult over the last year but um a lot of people are saying, how do you approach going into the job market when really the only experience you have is retail and hospitality and, and say you're wanting to go into, I don't know, anything other than that, I suppose, law or, or whatever? What do you do? I think that question is really telling. I think the way that question is worded is really telling. And the key word for me is only, only retail and hospitality experience. And it links back to what I was saying at the beginning about finding the right role, to, role for you. Uh, I've actually seen this a lot. So attitudinally, what's really important is take the word only out of that sentence. Because first of all, you are at the start of your career. Remember on your CV, your date of birth is there. No one is expecting you to have traveled the world and done 15 brilliant jobs within the field that you are applying to. So release yourself from that feeling. Take the word only out of the sentence. When people at the start of their careers apologize or feel like they should apologize for their Saturday job in a shop or as a tour guide or as a babysitter, the truth is that the employers 
aren't judging those gigs as harshly as as you are when you're writing it down on your CV. Actually, it's quite the opposite. So if someone's been a tour guide, for example, this is a, a, an example of, of someone who I was mentoring and she was really, I mean, she wanted to take it off her CV. And I said to her, you know, look, what I see tour guide, and I see that you've done it summer after summer, you know, from sort of school throughout university. What that says to me is, I know that you can deal with a big, diverse group of people in a crowded environment. I know that you can overcome language barriers. I know you can stick to a schedule and be enthusiastic and informative. And those are skills that are 100% desirable to most organisations. They are, they will make you hireable. So instead of thinking it's only retail or hospitality, I want you to think about qualities that you demonstrate in those roles uh, and to make the most of them. So don't emphasise the job title, emphasise the skills that you demonstrated when you were doing that job. And I have always said that I would rather hire someone who's a brilliant waiter than someone who's done six internships in really flashy sounding places because the waiter is almost certainly more skilled and more slick and has more stamina. Great advice. Just before uh, Hannah joins us, who's been your your mentee uh, for for quite a while now, um, what have you got out of being a mentor? redirecting a lot of things that people might perceive as problems in either in their future or in their past on their CV. And I think being able to, through the prism of experience, being able to reframe some of that is a really quick way to sort of um, unburden someone of, of things that they might think might stand in their way. And that's kind of, it's lovely to be able to do that. I hope that that's, that's kind of a useful thing. And why is it important for you to do mentoring why do you feel why do you continue to do it because I imagine you know you're hugely busy it, it takes up a huge amount of your time I imagine um it's I think I've always done it I've done it well you know since f- for, for many years now and you know I I didn't have um an obvious mentor at certainly not at university or before and I think I would have really benefited from someone who could have helped me directionally and given me a bit of confidence and I hope that in being able to do that a little bit uh, for other people that I'm able to kind of help them shortcut some stuff and take away some of the barriers that were definitely there for me. I went to a comprehensive school that I you know I think it's quite difficult for people who have come from different environments to understand what that sort of I sort of refer to it as sort of institutionalized low expectations so I was told that I should do um hair and beauty GMVQ at Salisbury College and um and that probably would have been great but I was really academic and I really really wanted to go to university and I wanted to write and that was something that was just not just not encouraged at my school but it was it was actively kind of laughable to have that ambition um and then I had I got a scholarship uh for sixth form and uh went to a different school where (laughs) 
attitudinally everything was the exact opposite of that and I think that experience for me has really fueled a lot of um, the, the contrast of that experience is something that I'm really passionate about trying to kind of level off. You're absolutely right I mean a major part of my, of my role at the university um, as well as doing lovely podcasts like this is also um, fundraising for scholarships for um, students you know incredibly bright students who often have you know huge financial barriers or personal barriers as to why they can't come to university and and to see um the the huge difference that having a scholarship and then having the backup behind that scholarship of of uh, particularly that whole imposter syndrome feeling um when you suddenly come to university and you feel like you don't really belong is so important and i think that carries on particularly in, in your working life as well, isn't it, with, with a lot of people, is that you can feel that you don't belong there and you've got to constantly prove yourself all the time. Yes, and of course, actually, you have already proved that you belong there more than anyone because, <laughs> you know, because you've been financially supported into that opportunity. We talk about imposter syndrome a lot in the book. It's really important to to reference that. And it is a real problem, but even being able to notice the signs and identify it as imposter syndrome massively helps. So again, there are some tricks and there's some things that we talk about in the book, which just help undo some of the, you know, imposter syndrome isn't, it's not an accurate assessment of your situation or your ability. It's a, it's a sort of horrible rabbit hole of your own uh, undoing. Um, And being able to kind of reset some of that thinking with a few tricks is is really powerful and and it is something particularly women need to try and shed and work quite hard to undo because it does it does us no favors and it's also an absolutely boring way to spend your time <laughs> exactly <laughs> right now i'm really pleased that that your mentee hannah rooney has, has joined us now hannah thank you so much uh, for joining us on this podcast today hannah tell me how um how your mentorship came about how did you get in touch with with lucy so it was through this scheme at university that we had to um, do like a sort of, I, I don't want to say audition because it wasn't, but like we had to plan <laughs> like a presentation to see if we were like suitable for the course, basically. And we did that, oh gosh, it was probably a year ago now. And um, yeah, I think our first meeting was in September or October, Lucy. I can't quite remember just now, but now yeah, that feels like right. such such a long time ago um but yeah <laughs> I'm really glad I've done it though I wish you had really... I wish you had auditioned yeah <laughs> done a little monologue or something I would have loved a bit of tap dancing yeah exactly you could have done a small a small sketch I would have liked that Hannah that's a shame <laughs> well you're studying the right things for it Hannah I feel like we're missing yeah. some kind of jazz hands performance right now but uh, <laughs> how have you found having a mentor then how has it helped you I think it was really useful for when um, I was really, really confused about what route I wanted to go down because obviously doing theatre and performance and not wanting to go into theatre is a bit of a confusing kind of path. And obviously there are so many arts jobs out there that aren't usually as prominent or as advertised. So I think what was really helpful, I remember one specific meeting, um, me and Lucy basically just like wrote all these different career choices that I wanted to do because some some of them are so different they were like from PR to social work like I'm just a, a person that is very indecisive which is very annoying and I need to work on it but um I do remember one session um that we were trying to decide like what I was most passionate about and I think I did realize that 
like public relations is more of the job that I could see myself in um and I think that was like a proper um like turning point for me and like made me want to because I've applied for a master's in that at Leeds now and I think that was a like a major turning point of making me want to do that and 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 from your perspective Lucy you know obviously Hannah full of energy you know young going out into the world it must be a real moment of pride for you to be able to to mentor someone like Hannah who you can see has such huge potential Oh, huge potential. I mean, I remember saying to Hannah at the beginning, having your plans and your sense of anticipation about what the next few years look like suddenly put on hold. I remember saying that it's okay to feel really cross and and kind of tripped up by that. You know, that's nobody saw this coming and it's really frustrating. I mean, frustrating is a nice word to describe what that must feel like. Um, but there is no question that I think what Hannah's been brilliant at is reassessing and pivoting within that space and deciding and making also some really what might end up being short term decisions that will get her through this period of complexity in order to emerge on the other side in a stronger position when stuff is 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 opened up again in a way that has more opportunity within it for her. And I think that's been really great to watch. And I think, you know, we talk about when you start in a job, being able to be, as Hannah is super articulate about the stuff that she isn't sure about, being able to do that with a sense of energy is like, it will just mean that whatever she does and wherever she ends up, you know, that is infectious and it helps, it lights up the room, everyone wants to be part of that, you know, that's something that she will take with her in all environments. And so at, at no point have I been worried about her, which is nice. I think Hannah is in a, in a, brilliant place to sort of make the most of what has been a really tricky and unsettling time. Hannah that must be really lovely for you to hear and 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 to feel like you've really got someone who's got your back and is in your corner really. Yeah it is so lovely it's very I think as well with um because obviously it's exam period and it's probably hit the most stressful time of my degree for me because I've still got this massive essay to do it's just so nice kind of hearing words of affirmation like that like it is very touching and um I always remember like through our sessions um I don't know Lucy you just seem so such like I, I it really inspires me when I see such like a powerful woman in a workforce and exactly what she's doing and has come and completely had a journey like there was no nepotism involved or anything it really does inspire me and I really hope that I can be as successful as you Oh, um, Hannah. Don't make me cry. Don't make me cry. I've got, I've got, I've just, I've got a baby. I'm sleepless, sleep deprived. I might burst into tears. I think we all feel a bit tearful on that one. I know I'm worried. It doesn't take much to set me off these days. I'm a wreck. Um, but I think that's really lovely. I mean, I think Hannah. I suppose, what would you say to to a, a student or a graduate who hasn't got a mentor, who probably needs that backup and that support, who probably doesn't have family around them who can be their cheerleading squad you know what would what would you say to somebody to encourage them to take up that opportunity so I just think obviously it's been such an awful time and it's probably been the hardest time for everyone um universally but I just think with this like because it's so precious and so many different and difficult things can challenge you every opportunity you have or a suggested even if it doesn't work out just take it because more times than none it will 
become something that will either benefit you, something that will help you academically, be something you can put on your CV. Like, I just think, even though it does seem so overwhelming sometimes, especially with arts jobs, I know I feel overwhelmed because it feels so competitive and, like, you get rejected so many times. I just think that one day you will look back and feel like if I hadn't have done that tiny little thing, I would not have got to where I am now. So I just think you've just got to be open to absolutely everything because you don't know how one specific opportunity will benefit you in a completely different realm, if that makes sense. It does, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> just to build on that, I think the other thing to say, and again, we, we talk about this in the book, the word mentor is, is, I think, scary and big and often puts people off. But it's also important to say that you won't always have the same mentor that 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 relationship changes and it evolves and you might have a mentor who's your mentor some people do and that's wonderful but you also might go on to have several in your career or more than one at the same time Hannah will go on to meet people in her working life who she has an immediate connection with and who will become advisors and supporters and that happens really quite organically that isn't something where you're like it needs to be capital M, mentor, like no one's wearing a name badge. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be a much more social and kind of open thing that happens uh, on its own. And that is glorious when that happens. And I would say that I, there's, you know, now I have two people who are, I would describe as mentoring me. They probably wouldn't, they don't know they're mentoring me. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> in, in two different areas of my career, one in radio and one in TV. And I think I use them in exactly the same way that Hannah can use me to help me with the stuff that I don't know. So I think try to think of mentorship as an ongoing and kind of ever-changing dynamic in your working life. Hannah, I'd like to think that in you know a few years' time when you're established in your career that you could be a mentor yourself. I think that would be a lovely thing to, to give back. Yeah, I would absolutely love to do something like that. Lucy, obviously in the alumni team, we're always looking for, for mentors for our students all the time. What would you say to somebody to encourage them, to, an alumni, to be a mentor? Uh, I think it's been, I think the process from the lead side is handled really well. It's really um, beautifully organised and done in such a way that you ha- are, you feel supported, um, but it doesn't feel like this sort of um, scheduled, painful thing. So for Hannah and I, the way that worked, and it would be entirely down to all sorts of different things, like people's availability and personality and all that stuff. But for Hannah and I, that just meant that actually the most useful, I think, was just speaking on the phone and uh, chatting. And I remember phoning Hannah when, God, I mean, I can't remember which version of lockdown it was, but (laughs) one of them, and just sort of saying, are you all right it just everything is shit um and you know that it can be like that or or if it works you might have a mentor who is in a much more rigid um kind of professional structure (laughs) not i'm unprofessional but i think what's good is that there is the freedom to build a relationship in whatever way makes sense for the two of you uh and yet you always have the support and, and the sort of the options of more structure if you need that from from the team at lead and i think it's just you know i think it's kind of incumbent upon us really we've had uh lots of opportunities and uh and mo- hopefully wonderful career moments i think it's sort of necessary to then uh i hate the sort of give back expression but i i, I think it just sort of it's kind of the deal like you then you sort of 
pay it forward and and do what you can to to help uh anyone who's following absolutely i couldn't uh, have put it better myself i think that's lovely hannah what's next for you then you mentioned you're going to do a master's so i've applied to leeds to study um corporate communications pr and marketing i'm still waiting to hear back which is a bit stressful but fingers <laughs> crossed it'll be fine but i think even if this master's um application is unsuccessful i've still got a um, house in leeds for next year so i think i'll just stay here and hopefully find some either build on my work experience for um broadcasting and just see where it takes me really but hopefully I'll get the masters praying we've all got our uh, we've all got our fingers crossed for you Hannah thank you so thank much, you so much. For, to, to both of you for, for joining me today it's it, Lucy it's been fascinating uh, to hear about your your career but also for writing this book I mean thank you know frankly I, I think it's probably needed more now than ever so I think there are going to be a lot of <laughs> of grads and students scrambling uh, to go and, and read read all your advice. So thank you so much for all of your time today. And Hannah, thank you for joining us and, and best of luck with your future career. I'm you so I look much. forward to hearing all about it. It's been <laughs> great. Thank you, thank so you for much. having us. <laughs> You've been listening to My Lead Story, a podcast series brought to you by the alumni team at the University of Leeds. For more stories about our global Leeds community, why not visit our website, alumni.leeds.ac.uk or join us on social media at at Leeds Alumni. And if you have a Leeds story you would like to share, email us at alumni at leeds.ac.uk.